Hello, welcome to Literary Guys. This is author Zachary Kellyan. Today we'll be reading a poem by the great Charles Bukowski, followed by some discussion on this interesting, problematic, troubled, yet enigmatic figure in American poetry. So join us in the Stardust Lounge for discussion immediately following the poem. And now, The Man with the Beautiful Eyes by Charles Bukowski. When we were kids, there was a strange house. All of the shades were always drawn, and we never heard voices in there, and the yard was full of bamboo, and we liked to play in the bamboo, pretend we were Tarzan, although there was no Jane. And there was a fish pond, a large one, full of the fattest goldfish you ever saw, and they were tame. They came to the surface of the water and took pieces of bread from our hands. Our parents had told us, never go near that house. So... Of course, we went. We wondered if anybody lived there. Weeks went by and we never saw anybody. Then one day, we heard a voice from the house. You goddamned whore! It was a man's voice. Then the screen door of the house was flung open and the man walked out. He was holding a fifth of whiskey in his right hand. He was about 30. He had a cigar in his mouth, needed a shave. His hair was wild and uncombed and he was barefoot in undershirt and pants, but his eyes were bright. They blazed with brightness, and he said, Hey there, little gentleman. Having a good time, I hope? (laughs) Then he gave a little laugh and walked back into the house. We left, went back to my parents' yard, and thought about it. Our parents, we decided, had wanted us to stay away from there because they never wanted us to see a man like that, a strong, natural man with beautiful eyes. Our parents were ashamed that they were not like that man. That's why they wanted us to stay away. But we went back to that house and the bamboo and the tame goldfish. We went back many times for many weeks, but we never saw or heard the man again. The shades were down, as always, and it was quiet. Then one day, as we came back from school, we saw the house. It had burned down. There was nothing left. Just a smoldering, twisted black foundation and we went to the fish pond, and there was no water in it, and the fat orange goldfish were dead there, drying out. We went back to my parents' yard and talked about it and decided that our parents had burned their house down, had killed them, had killed the goldfish, because it was all too beautiful. Even the bamboo forest had burned. They had been afraid of the man with the beautiful eyes. And we were afraid, then, that, all throughout our lives, things like that would happen, That nobody wanted anybody to be strong and beautiful like that. That others would never allow it. And that many people would have to die. Welcome to the Stardust Lounge. Once again, this is author Zach Kellyan, joined here as always by my friend... Dr. Gordon McAllen. So, Gordy, what did you think about this Charles Bukowski poem? So I have to be honest, I don't like Charles Bukowski. Uh, This I know. And I loved this poem. I think there was so much to connect to, so much that I hope we can talk about here for a few minutes because I was so shocked by someone who I vehemently dislike their work that they hit on some themes that really resonated with me. 
And I thought it would be perfect to talk about it this month because coincidentally, I read this poem for the first time when you suggested it minutes before I cracked the cover on less and read that. Okay, so nice, there's nice. wonderful timing associated with that too. And I suppose for our listeners, it might be beneficial to go over a little bit of our shared history with Charles Bukowski. I am a fan. I acknowledge there's a lot of troubling details about the man and his work and completely understand why he might not be for everybody. But we were uh, in a book club many years ago, a book club that met usually at baseball parks or dive bars. Yes, sometimes on boats. And we were reading Factotum. You were reading it. I was hating it. Because, you know, this was probably maybe a a proto version of Literary Guys. It was a a book club with other people who identify as men. And we were reading predominantly masculine literature. And and you can't touch on masculine literature without bringing Bukowski to the conversation at some point. Yeah, the book club was mostly books by authors with drinking problems as opposed to this podcast, which is mostly (laughs) about authors with cocaine habits. We've evolved. We've evolved since then. And I don't think you finished it. This is No, his... no. I, this was the only book from that book club that I just could not stomach finish. And what would you say? Is it his prose? Is it his subject matter? Is it his narrative voice? What, what really grates on you? Usually? It's this crass, toxic, masculine primary character who I'm told is sort of a cipher for himself throughout a number of his novels. I just found the behavior so abhorrent and the portrayal of women just shockingly degrading Yeah, that I was like, what am I going to walk away from this learning? Like, I'm just watching this episodic horrible behavior that's just a different terrible event that happens every chapter and i got a number of chapters into it and i was like i'm just not getting anything redeeming out of this so why should i continue spending my time reading someone who i just don't wish to learn anything from that character and i think that's not an unfair appraisal of especially the man's semi-autobiographical works like Factotum, Post Office. You know, there's a lot of these Henry Chiansky as his proxy. Right, right. Just kind of drifting about drunkenly through multiple affairs, which in fact, Charles Bukowski did. He was kind of a failed poet in his 20s, ended up working for the U.S. Post Office on and off again for several decades, drifted about America for what he called the 10-year drunk where he just kind of went from flop house to flop house and blue collar job that he held for six weeks just to get, you know, his next bottle of booze paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, so very much a man adrift and really didn't come into his own until much later in life. I think he had his first novel post office. I believe it was published when he was like 49 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think where I differ in my appraisal of Bukowski, because I agree with everything that you just said, it can be a very tough read at times. The subject matter that he's tackling, specifically his opinion of women, which I think translated into his real life as well. I liken him to Hemingway in some respects, because you get some Hemingway novels that seem purposeless, that are just young men adrift in the Spanish countryside drinking and going fishing and all that stuff. But of course, with Hemingway, it's what's beneath that, the beauty that's beneath that, Mm -hmm. the social commentary that's beneath that, that iceberg theory of Hemingway. And I think you get that with Bukowski, too. But again, Bukowski is so much more raunchy. Um, He was in his lifetime called America's Low Life Laureate, which I think is a really perfect way. I like that. Yeah, it's a perfect way of kind of discussing this man's work. And the reason why I wanted to talk about Bukowski with you, because I think you can't have a podcast about masculinity and not talk about this guy, because he's such a figurehead for better or in often cases for worse in American literature. But I'm glad that you like this poem, because I think this poem 
poem really does highlight where the man's talent lies. And I kind of wish we had seen more of this from him in his lifetime. Mm -hmm. So let's just get it out of the way because I'm going to say a number of positive things about this poem, but it also is somewhat vague in what happens in this scene when they meet the man. Mm -hmm. Is he in an abusive relationship with this woman? It's really not clarified as to what happens there. Obviously not condoning any behavior there, but it is intentionally, I assume, left vague Mm -hmm. as to what's going on there. So I'm just going to put that issue aside, but make sure that we definitely address that that's not a positive thing about this story. The reason this resonated with me is growing up in a culture in the Midwest, which is very reserved, very puritanical, very traditional, conservative. I don't know. You can just keep rambling words. But... Being someone who later in life kind of rejected so much of that, you end up with this view of like, how much of what was true about myself were other people trying to hide from me? Mm. Trying to tell me it was wrong, trying to purposefully obscure it. People who are afraid of the thing that they did not understand and try to instill that in other people. When I read this poem, that's what I saw. I saw this kid having this very adult realization that was misguided. I don't yes. I don't I don't think it is that the parents wanted to hide this man with the right. beautiful eyes, but the reality is is that this is a man who was living by his own rules. He was not fitting with society, clearly. He had chosen this path that he was on, for better or for worse, and that raw, dare I call it selfishness, like that's what he wanted and that was the life he had that other people were afraid of that. And that the narrator of the story just recognizes that this is what real freedom looks like. Mm -hmm. To be who you choose to be to be who you are meant to be. And yes, it's a weird story and it's told about broken people. But that realization at the end of like, how many houses do my parents have to burn down in order to hide the real world and what is actual satisfaction from me? Yeah, I think that a lot of those same things resonated with me as well. You know, you've obviously got this unreliable narrator of a child who you learn right from the beginning. The parents said not to go by that house. So, of course, we went, you know, that that contrarian view of a kid and that getting some things very right. You know, you talk about I think it's predominantly an American problem where you have these adults who have consigned themselves to this nine to five work life. You know, where it's work, church, whatever their obligations are, and they kind of have lost their identities to that. Um, That very Midwest, suburbia kind of mentality that was so pervasive when Bukowski was growing up in this country. And I think as a child, as an observant child, you are right to see that you've got all these adults with these glossy dead eyes who aren't enjoying life at all. Mm -hmm. And it's only natural that you would see someone who's living so far outside that construct and almost want to emulate that. And I I think that's where a lot of our quote-unquote toxic masculinity in this country comes from, is not necessarily from our dad sitting us down and saying, hey, this is how you mistreat women, and this is how you act, you know, in public. I think it's more, well, I don't want to be like this guy who's just kind of this cog in a machine. Mm -hmm. And the people who predominantly, at least 
most loudly live outside of that cog are people we probably shouldn't be emulating either. You know, in a couple of months, we're going to be reading Predator by Ander Monson. That's going to touch on those 80s action heroes that we all kind of idolized and emulated. Certainly not great role models either, but they were living a kind of freedom. They were living a kind of exuberance that we really don't see in our day-to-day basis in middle America. And I think this poem really kind of gets to the heart of that in a very interesting and touching way almost. And while we're drawing other literary parallels, the beginning of this poem also harkens to To Kill a Mockingbird yes. with the protagonist going to the house in which they are intentionally told not to go visit to very different ends than this poem I think the question that I've got to ask is, is it something about masculinity that resonates with what's being told in this poem, or is it actually more of a condemnation of just general American society? Like, I've got to believe that a lot of the forces that we're looking at here of people trying to hide away those that do not conform is just as much, maybe even potentially more of an issue from a female perspective, from a feminine perspective. Yeah, and I think that that's probably, certainly in a 2023 reading of this, is probably how we should look at it. Bukowski pretty much is the guy in that house. With the shade strong oh, and, the, and the fifth of yeah. whiskey. So, you know, I don't know how much he is intending it to be a commentary specifically on misguided masculinity. But I do think, you know, when you talk about the people that we shut out, you know, is this guy living with a woman? Mm-hmm. We assume so because he's addressing somebody, you know, maybe someone in his mind. Maybe he just got off a phone call. But I think with the shades drawn and everything, we're meant to conclude that there's probably a woman living with him. And certainly the house burning down was probably a result of a drunken fight they had or some kind of, you know, domestic situation is how I kind of read the poem. So I do think it's a really interesting glimpse into, you know, as you said, those people that we kind of push aside and want to keep on the fringes of our society and what that does to men and women. So I've got to ask the question, just because of the words chosen in this poem, do you think that there is a homoerotic reading of this text? I don't get that. I think, you know, it's such an interesting title, The Man with the Beautiful Eyes, and it's so rare, at least in heteronormative culture, that we would describe any feature of a man as beautiful. But I think that that's intentional. I think Bukowski's very intentional with that usage of the word beauty, because it puts so much focus on his eyes and how they might be viewed differently from a child's perspective. Mm -hmm. And again, I really go back to that kid coming home and, you know, his dad... We don't know what his dad does, but let's assume he's a just a typical working stiff in the 1950s, right? He comes home every day. He has no goals anymore. He's just kind of in a, a rote existence. I've noticed that that affects how somebody looks in their eyes. Whereas you meet that friend who's got goals, and maybe they're not even achieving those goals, but they're doing something with their lives. They're doing something different, and their eyes do seem brighter and more full of energy and life. Perhaps a child would pick up on that and might describe those eyes that are impassioned as being beautiful. That's kind of how I read it, but I would love to hear what your take on it. Do you think that there is some homosexual undercurrents here? From my perspective, I have to read it with a little bit, or I have to imagine that there is a reading of it. I don't think it's what Bukowski actually intended for this. But given the sparsity of the verse, you can look at this as here is a beautiful man 
maybe this narrator was someone who was suspected of perhaps being gay and parents were trying to keep him away from this person who might actually reaffirm the sexual feelings that he had. Not that the, this man was, you know, in any way trying to take advantage of this kid, but just in having a man who is desirable to another man, visually in this case, that's something that I could imagine parents who suspected their kid may be gay would want to keep them away from. It's an interesting read, and, and I don't want to discount it entirely. Buk- are you going to? <laughs> Bukowski himself never identified as gay, as far as we know, only had relationships with women. But there's some interesting anecdotes that I've always heard about his life that's kind of worth discussing on this podcast. One of his good friends was asked how he could be friends with such a gruff, almost bully of an individual. And he said, it was really simple. I only hang out with them if it's just with other guys. Apparently, according to this individual, when Bukowski was around women, he would be the alpha male. He would belittle other men. He would drink and swear and cuss and be very kind of solipsistic in his worldview. But then when you would just meet him one-on-one as a guy, he could be very tender. He would be very caring and compassionate. His whole voice and demeanor would be much gentler. I don't think that that's evidence of homosexuality, but it's interesting that Bukowski almost saw women as an impediment to intimacy. He wasn't loyal to any of his girlfriends or wives. He often, as his character Henry in uh, his various works, treats women very much as disposable. But then we see him in his real life having these very deep emotional connections with men that aren't sexual in any way. But it's an interesting glimpse into toxic masculinity where, yes, he's attracted to women, but doesn't feel like he can actually have an honest relationship with women. I think given the time in which he was writing, that may not have been that uncommon. Yeah. That, again, as we've talked about so many times, particularly in the context of war novels, that we don't give men in this period, at least in American society, any opportunity to express intimacy, particularly to other men. You know, it need not in any way be sexual. And, you know, here is obviously someone who chose an art artistic path in life, someone who must have had some emotion that wanted to get out, and maybe he was, you know, more bold and daring than than other people were in order to express that. But it's that very same thing, that toxic relationship with women, that makes him someone who I don't want to listen to. And I think that's the interesting contrast here is like, when is someone's behavior so reprehensible that the thing that they maybe were ahead of their time in or a harbinger of what was to come that I'm really not going to listen to because of that. And I think in the context of this poem, which with the exception of one paragraph is actually not about the relationship between men and women and which is that toxic element of his writing, that it makes me that much more receptive to then hear what I think is a compelling story that I did not expect to hear in such a short poem. So I guess to sum things up, uh, if you want to learn more about Bukowski but are a little reticent to deal with the rampant misogyny that exists in so many of his prose works, maybe go to his poetry where the man allows himself to be a little bit more open, a little bit more vulnerable. And with that, I guess we can conclude this episode of Literary Guys. Yeah, again, thank you so much for bringing this poem to my attention. My pleasure. I literally would never have picked this up after the horrible (laughs) experience of reading Factotum, but... 
I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about this. And I know that upon reading this, I had texted you, you know, some of my thoughts on it. And I talked to a few other people about it immediately afterwards. So it clearly left an impression. Anyhow, we'll be back on the first Monday of the month where we will be reading Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kwai Strong Washburn. Until then, as always coming to you from the Stardust Lounge, this has been Literary Guys, signing off.